really excited about today's because uh, it's a product I know well um, and it's a company that I've found incredibly inspiring um, the more that I've learned about them over the last few months. So um, today it is my absolute pleasure to announce that we've got uh, co-founder and CEO of Charlie HR, Ben Branson-Gately is here with us this morning. Um, Charlie HR is the, hot, is the HR software for small businesses with big ideas, much like us here at Seed. Um, and uh, I, I can say as a user, as someone who, you know, interacts with this product every single day, multiple times in the day, it is an absolute joy to be able to speak to you about it, Ben, and, and find out a little bit more about how, um, how you guys have grown and scaled to be who you are today. So welcome. How are you this morning on this bright, sunny, very, very humid day in London? Yeah, I'm well. I'm really well. I'm really, really grateful for the rain. Um, I woke up this morning, and and just as I woke up, it started to rain. So, um, yeah, that was that was the start start to the day that I was looking for. Um, it feels a little bit cooler, a bit more, um, a bit more, you know, temperate. Um, so hopefully, I'll be able to actually get some work done today, rather than the last couple of days where I've been. Just really, just really, really struggling to focus. It's been very difficult. And I'm sorry that I have just committed two people in England to celebrating rain to video for Time Eternal. Um, but no, look, Ben, it's great to have you here this morning. I'm sure that many of the people who are listening now or listening in the future know all about you and, and know your story really well. But for those who don't, can you give us the, the sort of elevator intro to what Ben's been up to, the, the, the journey that you've been on so far? Sure. So I'm, I'm I'm definitely one of those in, insanely lucky people um, who has only ever worked for themselves. So um, I've been working together with uh, my co-founder, Rob, for the last, I think, probably 13 years we're up to now. Okay. And in the last five, we have been building a, a business um, called Charlie HR. And, and we started that business um, really focused around how we could automate and support small businesses with a bunch of the admin that um, mm. that sits around the people function of uh, small organizations. We're really passionate about small businesses. Um, you know, we don't want to work for big banks. We want to help um, the innovators, the creators, uh, the, the small organizations that are really trying to push, um, push the lever and change things. Um, where we are now is is kind of a very different business, and um, the last five years is a bit about advents, about saving time, and the next five years is about helping companies build culture, helping mm -hmm. them make better decisions about the culture that they're building. And, you know, mm -hmm. we fundamentally believe that um, culture is the thing that's going to make or break your business over the next 10, 20 years. Might not have been for the past 20, but it certainly will be in the next 20. And, so and is that something you're hearing from? Now. Is that something you're hearing from the customers that you have at the moment? Or is that something you're hearing sort of out in the market, um, that vision and mission for the future in terms of moving more towards culture? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there, are, there are a few elements, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the elements is that culture historically has been something that's been really hard to define mm -hmm. um it's it's been something that you know if i walked into a board meeting and said i'm going to focus on improving our culture <laughs> people would be like well what do you actually mean and so we've spent the last um uh six to 12 months 
trying to really understand what the building blocks of culture are because if we don't understand those building blocks we can't um we can't help companies build great culture and so we understand that now to be people the people you hire into your organization uh the policies the agreed do's and don'ts these are not just employee handbooks or legal documents mm-hmm. these are the sometimes written sometimes non-written you know behaviors agreed behaviors of an organization mm-hmm. and then your processes like what are your rituals what are your ways of working what are the what are the things you use to communicate and and how do you make decisions and all that stuff you put those three things together and what you get is is culture and mm-hmm. and for us it's that group of aspects people policies and process which, which makes up this 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 category and this term which we call culture ops so we mm-hmm. want to focus on culture ops we want to focus on those three those three areas of building culture i love that love that term culture ops um having worked for worked in the human resources space now um since i was about 25 so that's a really long time um the different names that we've been called once upon a time i was called a personnel manager um, so to hear it, and and of course Google famously um, called us people operations. So to hear, and that sort of has been adopted by loads of people since then. So to hear it called cultural operations is, is sort of like operationalizing something that's perhaps a bit uh, um, abstract, a bit a bit more of kind of a theme or an idea, and and making it like a concrete, real thing sounds like sounds like the future to me anyway. And obviously you guys are are doing that really really well. You scale teams, as you mentioned at the beginning, you've only ever worked for yourself. Yes, well, gel of the fact that you've managed to do that in your life. Um, and you've scaled teams for a number of your own companies now. Um, award-winning social agency that we've heard of before called Born Social, and of course, Charlie HR. Um, and I think you guys are about 40 people now, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. roughly. Um, what, are, what have been some of the common challenges or, or common themes as you've scaled those two companies and, and the, you know, pandemic aside, what have been some of the, the more recent challenges that you guys have been facing? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, mm. I think, you know, people are always the hardest and the <laughs> most rewarding part of, of scaling any business. And and ultimately, that's because no no two people are the same. We're all mm-hmm. very unique and very different, and so our wants and our needs and our desires are are, are different. And so, yeah, look, I'll be really honest. That's always <laughs> that's always the biggest challenge of scaling any organisation is can you mm-hmm. bring together the right group of people? Can you motivate them around a vision and a mission and a purpose, something that we're trying to achieve? And mm-hmm. can you get the best out of them? And, and if you can do that, you know, you can probably keep them in the room. Um, but you can't do that then then you're not going to be able to and um, you know it requires a ton of energy requires a ton of focus and 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 a lot of pattern recognition as well because you know over time you start to see different patterns of okay I can I can feel this I can sense that I can I can look at the data I can I can see that we might be coming up up against this issue and so really that never changes really I think the best organizations focus on you know maximizing the potential of the people that they have in the room um and and that's a huge challenge um but it's also amazingly rewarding and i think for me that's always a really interesting thing which is that while it can be hard and there can be challenging moments when it works and when you get it right and when you find that connection with someone or you see someone really go and um you know nail a project or or excel in a piece of work it's also insanely rewarding um (laughs) 
And so, yeah, for me, that's always the hardest and the best bit about scaling any organisation. People, I mean, if only we could operationalise us and uh, although maybe one day in the future they will, who, who even knows. Um, the first thing you said there was bringing together a team of great people. Um, obviously, here at Seed, we're in the business of, of helping companies acquire talent, and, and it's something that I've been doing professionally for quite a while now. Any major wins, any great sort of nuggets of truth or, or nuggets of excellence that you can share as to, to how you've been able to bring together those great teams in the two companies that you founded so far? Yeah, it's 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 a really good question. I think um, it's hard. It's really hard. I know from experience. But well, you know, and people talk yeah. about they talk about art and they talk about science and 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 yeah. and then you know hiring or, or or you know recruitment and attraction of talent being this mix of of art and science. And I think it absolutely is. But I definitely see the art part sitting on top of the science. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, data is something that's really useful and it can inform decisions. But I think an interview is such a shallow way of understanding a person. And so I think the best piece of advice that, you know, that I give our hiring managers and people that are building teams within our organization is don't try and tell yourself that you're going to get it right all the mm. time because you won't, right? It's, it's mm. impossible. I'm still making hiring um, decisions that sometimes are wrong and I've been mm. doing it uh, for a, you know, a decent amount of time now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's about taking the pressure off and saying, I want to make the best decision I think I possibly can, but I know this isn't the end of the process. And so thinking about team creation, not just as, you know, the bidder up until they sign the contract, but also past that, the onboarding, the probation period, year one, year two, you know, what are the characteristics we can accentuate? What are the ones we want to get feedback on? It, it's it's a continuous process. It doesn't stop once you've offered someone a job and they've signed a contract. So I think if you can bring that mentality to it, um, mm. then I think you can be really successful. I mean, firstly, when Laura and, and who works with us in our marketing team, um, it, when we're clipping together this video at the end, I'm literally going to copy exactly what you just said, make that like my personal, you know, LinkedIn page video where you're talking about it being an art and a science and the art is kind of layered over the top because it's actually something that, yeah, I, I the data-driven recruiting side of me absolutely believes that you have to, you know, track performance, track numbers, et cetera, but there is a, a certain je ne sais quoi, as the French would say, that sort of lays over the top of it, a bit of a bit of gut instinct, a bit of intuition, that, that kind of art bringing the art and the science together. Um, So it's wonderful to hear you say that. And again, as a user of Charlie HR every day, to hear you talking about the the post-offer journey or the post-offer experience, um, it's something that Charlie HR helps me do um, every day in my job. I I run a very large team here at Seed and and I can attest to the fact that what you built actually makes my life wonderful as a result of that. So thank you. (laughs) Um, so we talked a bit about some of the challenges that you've had in, and the ways that you've sort of overcome them. What's the biggest piece of BS advice that you've ever been given when it comes to building building companies, running early stage companies? Any kind of myths that you want to debunk for us this morning? Oh, that's a good, that's a really, really good. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's loads really out question. there. 
Well, I think I think it come I think it is all to do with advice. Mm-hmm. Which is that you know when you when you you know well, I guess we are a tech business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're sort of we sit in that kind of startup category, although maybe we don't feel like a startup anymore. Um, a lot of people want to give you advice and tell you what the right thing to do is. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of books out there that profess to have all the answers on certain topics. And I think it's very easy as a founder or it's very easy as someone starting a business or building a business to be really heavily swayed by the latest opinion that you've heard. <laughs> and, and I think that a lot of that opinion is just that, it's opinion. And And your job is to like, take all that information and use it to inform your opinion you have to take them as individual data points um and so yeah a lot of the advice that we've been given over the years is bs and um mm-hmm. you know i think we were lucky in the majority of instances not to have done exactly what a person has said and told us to do but i think thinking of yourself as a sponge that wants to just suck up as much much information and opinion that sits out there but then use that to calibrate your own decision. Mm. Don't just say, this company's done this, therefore we should do the same. Sometimes that might work, but also sometimes it won't, right? And when you build software like we do for organizations, you realize how different every organization is, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the team, their processes, their policies, the way they work. Mm. It, it, you know, they, organizations could not be more different. If I speak to 10 customers, all of them are probably going to say that they want a slightly different thing from the product, which actually makes it really difficult to do what we do. And we know we're not perfect. We've got, you know, a lot that we want to build and a lot of improvements we want to make. But I think um, recognizing that the business that you're building is unique. And so therefore the decisions that you need to make about that business should also be unique. It should be unique to you. But yeah, really good advice there. Um, Then, I mean, again, having worked for, for some of those um, uh, sort of tech companies that tend to define how we how we do things these days, a lot of it is trend, like fashion, like cars, like shoes, like anything. Um, you know, it's the late, like you were saying, the latest book, the latest TED talk, and there's always like little pieces that you can take from each of those different things. But if you kind of wholeheartedly adopt another person's idea, it won't be authentic to you anyway because you'll be just parroting off what Bill Gates wrote in his book or what Steve Jobs wrote in his book. So. Um, I think it's really, really, you know, certainly aligns with the way that, that I approach a lot of those kind of books and talks and things like that is to take what's appropriate for you and, and works with your unique business or your unique way of operating, but don't kind of wholeheartedly adopt somebody else's ideas because it just won't be, it won't be true to you. Um, mm. When thinking about, I guess, Charlie HR and what's coming next for you guys, how do you prioritise, how are you prioritising at the moment with things changing all the time as, as they are and and decide like how you're going to build the plan and scale for the future yeah and I, I was kind of talking to that <laughs> just previously right yeah. it's really difficult yeah. and, and um impossible you know, all, maybe <laughs> yeah and uh, to all any customers watching this or listening you know mm. I do not profess to <laughs> having done a perfect job and and in fact, I don't think we ever will do a perfect job, but I'm, I'm sorry. I think that, you know, yeah. like it's an, it's impossible in, in relation to what I just said, right? Which is every business is different and, and you will have different needs. Mm-hmm. Where we've gotten to is, is a point where we have a view on the world. Mm-hmm. We have a very specific view about 
why company culture is going to make or break the businesses of the future. And so we want to build a more opinionated product. Wow. I like it. (laughs) We want to build a product that says, look, there are many different ways of doing this and we're not going to try and be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is we're going to say, look, here's a view of the world. Here's a way of doing things. And, and, you know, for example, we're talking a lot about diversity inclusion. One of the things that we're discussing at the moment is about making it mandatory Mm -hmm. for companies that use Charlie to record D&I data. Mm-hmm. Not a decision. Not a we're going to have a strategy or we're not going to have a strategy. No, mm-hmm. we're going to make it mandatory. Mm-hmm. Mental health policy. We're going to make it mandatory to have a mental health policy to set up that type of um, uh, leave within Charlie. Now, mm-hmm. these are not decisions we've made, but it's that kind of conversation that we're having more and more is is. You know, we're driven by a very core purpose, which is that we want to make work better. There are mm. many people that turn up to work every day and don't love that experience. And we have this amazing opportunity where we can affect that and we can change that. And, and, and we think that we can do that. By doing that, we, build, we bring a lot of good to the world. So we're going to be driven by, I guess, our view on culture. We're going to be driven by wanting to make work better for people. And we're going to be driven by, you know, the opinion that we... Um, that we hold and, and, and trying to build a product which is opinionated and that has a view of the world. But customers are absolutely part of that. And, and we spend a ton of time talking to customers and making sure that they're part of that process. Our opinion is, is created through the conversations that we have with them. And so, you know, we've had an entire team for the last six weeks just talking to customers, just researching, working out what have, what are things that have changed in a kind of pre-post-COVID world, what are the things that people are going to want over the next six to 12 months? Um, and, you know, as long as we're doing that, I think we're doing the best job that we can. And we know that it's never going to be perfect. I'm going to write that one down, an opinionated product. Um, I think, uh, again, um, having worked in the world of diversity and, and led diversity initiatives across organisations globally, um, people are so nervous to sort of draw a line in the sand or put that flag in the ground and say, this is where we're starting from and, and we're going to move forward from there. And um, particularly in Europe, where recording data and statistics is perhaps less favoured than it is in places like the US and um, uh, and Canada, I think it's a really, really, you know, slightly bold <laughs> kind of way to go forward, but definitely one that would differentiate the experience for, for any employee and uh, and like you say would make work better um if we were just doing that as part of our our dna every day um so yeah. is, is it is it horrible to say bravo to you for, doing, for wanting to do that because i think that's brilliant absolutely brilliant very um <laughs> very bold very opinionated which is two words that people would often use to describe me so um at Charlie, you talk about at Charlie HR. Sorry, you talk about defining high performance behaviours. Um, there's a series that I've read and uh, talked about with um, with other people internally as well about how you did that. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you defined them and and how you implemented those high performance behaviours at Charlie HR? Yeah, so sorry, I lost your audio there for a second, but um, oh, sorry, the, the sorry, question, no, it's fine. The, the question was um, about implementing high performance behaviors at Charlie HR, yes, yeah, yeah. So, 
fun, like a really interesting process for us. And um, I think from 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 our perspective, behaviors are so much more important than values. I think um, values can easily be this thing that sit on a wall, um, uh, you know, in writing. Maybe they're on your staff <laughs> handbook, but they can be really aloof. You know, what do they actually mean? Like, what does integrity mean, for example? And so, and for us, it was about going a level deeper and thinking about behaviours because behaviours are actions and they're things that people can actually do. And so, um, you know, defining those as a team is really, really important. Um, but also knowing that they're going to change. So we're about to go through the process of probably redefining those behaviours or adapting them or, or maybe adding one and taking one away. Why are we doing that? Well, because the world's changed and the way we're working and the behaviours we need are probably different. And so um, we need to model that, right? Companies, and again, those behaviours are big, a big part of what, you know, what I would say is as policy, right? Because they're agreed do's and don'ts. And those behaviours are really going to impact the culture that you build. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're a big sort of culture ops activity. And again your culture is not going to sit still it's going to evolve and adapt and if it doesn't evolve and adapt then yeah you're gonna you're gonna come up against some challenges and so the policies and therefore the behaviors that you have also need to adapt they also need to evolve and you know that's what i would i guess urge businesses out Mm. there um in saying that if you're not thinking about how these things are evolving over time as the world around you changes then they're probably not going to be as fit for purpose as you thought they once were. I mean, we've seen so many companies evolving um, how they how they lead their how they operate with their people um, over the last five months. We've been forced to make changes, and and huge companies around the world are now adopting those changes long term. Obviously, the, the the really well known one is Facebook, offering the opportunity to everybody to work remotely um, for the future. And I think. It's just a real shame that it took this situation to make that happen because, you know, it stands to reason that people are going to be happier if, you know, you and I were even talking just before about not having to commute in central London makes an enormous difference to your wellness, your mental well-being, your, you know, calm, that your ability to therefore be engaged and contribute back to the business that you're working in. So I hope that's one of the the behaviours that um, that loads of, of places adopt for the future as well. Um, uh, what would your just a final question to to summarise then what would be your advice to founders when it comes to maintaining their team to be motivated and engaged any pearls of wisdom that you can share with us from your experiences having done that yeah it's actually an amazing article I read on this this week that I'm super happy to share but um, cool. I think motivation and engagement comes from context mm-hmm. and, and having real context of what is going on in the organization because context creates influence Mm -hmm. the people that i know that enjoy the jobs that they have have influence if you work in a business where you feel like you can influence a decision you can feel like you can influence the role that you do the impact that you're having the people around you then the engagement and the motivation you have for wanting that organization to be successful is just so much higher. Mm -hmm. You know, we as humans, we like control, whether we want to admit that or not, we really like control. So I think 
influence is my sort of sort of translation of that mm-hmm. um, psychological trait into the workplace and um and people can't have influence if they don't have access to the right information or they don't know what's going on mm-hmm. and so sharing being transparent talking about the numbers talking about what's happening um giving as much context as you can to the rest of the organization is so so important and i think sometimes as business leaders we we kind of we hold stuff back so you think oh well, people are going to judge me or they're not going to not understand it or they're not going to know what to do with it or they're going to think something's bad it is so freeing to stand up and say this is the reality and guess what i don't know what the future holds or i don't know what's going to happen in this scenario and you know if you look at the leaders that have led best in times of real challenge and struggle they're very truthful and they're very honest and vulnerable about not knowing what the outcome is going to be and i think we've seen that in politics over the last 3 4 months you know those who have been successful around the world have been much more open and vulnerable those that maybe haven't been have um often been men and tried to um pretend no, that they have all the answers yeah and of course they don't because they've never been through the scenario so how could they and so we should um we should try and model that internally with our own businesses you don't have to have all the answers and that is a much truer representation of reality standing up there and saying this is what's happening this is what's going to happen this is what the future looks like pretending to have all the answers you've got a smart team they know you don't so don't pretend that you do i think the the point about vulnerability there ben um is uh, is one that we've all observed like you say in politics and as much as rishi might not be fully aligned with me politically um the way that he's been speaking and uh, rishi sunak by the way the chancellor mm. <laughs> in the uk the way that he's been speaking and 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 demonstrating perhaps fake perhaps not um compassion and vulnerability and and empathy um for the people of the uk i think has been has been something that certainly has made me um listen to him and of course big shout out to to our girl Jacinda down in new zealand as yeah. a former resident of new zealand um i think uh, the way that she uh, she's led through the crisis has been has been something quite extraordinary and um and i think put new zealand on the map for something other than the lord of the rings films for the first time ever so shout out to Jacinda as well um yeah. and the less we say about australia the better <laughs> on this matter so i won't shout out for that um and just to finish up then is there any kind of thing idea value or phrase that you live by now and and in the past and in the future sure um yeah it's a pretty simple one it's perspective i think yep. um i i i work quite hard in my life to make sure i surround myself by things that give me perspective i you know i grew up a son of a um a doctor and dad would um he spent a lot of time trying to you know help burn victims recover and doing loads of really intense trauma surgery and mm-hmm. that always gave me a huge amount of a uh, perspective in my life knowing that someone was definitely having it far worse than you were than you were and i mm. think what helps me control my stress as someone that runs a small business which you know mm. it's always stressful it's always hard 
is perspective, which is knowing that I'm really lucky to do what I do. Um, mm-hmm. I've still got many things to be grateful for. And so um, that was useful before COVID and it's definitely been <laughs> useful during COVID as well. I um, I can't count the number of times that I've told people on my team that we aren't uh, save, saving lives, you know, whether it's, I'm like, mm. we're not, we're not controlling the buttons that are going to, you know, cause people to live or die at the end of the day. And, and I think that's a really, really valid point to, you know, sometimes look up from your desk, look outside and see what's going on in the rest of the world. Very quick one, just because someone has just messaged me on my phone. What was the article that you were referencing about influence and context? Sure. Give me 30 seconds. I'm going to find a few. Um, <laughs> okay. It was a source that I don't, um, yeah, I don't normally read from. Mm. So it's an article called um, The Secret of Employee Engagement. Mm-hmm. And it was published on October 3rd, 2019. And um, it's published on pulseasync.com. Okay. Laura, we'll note that down and we'll make sure that we include that in the, in the post uh, coverage about uh, about this uh, time that you and I have spent this morning. Thanks, Great. Ben. I've learned I've learned a lot. Cultural operations is is the big thing that I'm taking away from today, and no doubt I'll get the benefit of experience in using it very shortly with 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 our partnership with Charlie HR. So um, it's been absolutely wonderful to celebrate the cooling down of London and the um, the journey of Charlie HR. Ooh.